Augmented reveals the stories behind a new era of industrial operations, where technology will restore the agility of frontline workers. In episode 26 of the podcast, the topic is manufacturing in Massachusetts. Our guest is Michael Tomasi, CEO and owner of AccuRounds and co-chairman of the MA Advanced Manufacturing Collaborative. In this conversation, we talk about the ecosystem for manufacturing in Massachusetts, the various organizations that assist manufacturers, including the MassTech Collaborative, the Center for Advanced Manufacturing, or CAM, the Manufacturing Extension Partnerships, or MEPs, uh, all around the U.S., and we discuss the challenges and opportunities of the manufacturing industry in the state. Being known as an innovation economy, yet with a significant manufacturing sector too, and the two now being coupled together in new ways. Michael shares his experience with technology and change, specifically Industry 4.0, as a second-generation owner of a manufacturing business. I ask Michael why young people don't see that manufacturing is the next big thing, and when will they? Augmented is a podcast for leaders, hosted by futurist Trun Arne Unheim, presented by Tulip.co, the frontline operations platform, and associated with MFG.works, the manufacturing upskilling community launched at the World Economic Forum. Each episode dives deep into a contemporary topic of concern across the industry and airs at 9 a.m. U.S. Eastern Time every Wednesday. Augmented the Industry 4.0 podcast. Michael, how are you today? I'm doing great, Tron. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's exciting. I, I thought we would have a discussion about manufacturing in Massachusetts. That seems to be what you're up to. That's a hot topic. Yeah, it's a very exciting time to be in manufacturing, especially in our state. Well, that's that's one thing, but you are not just in it because it's cool. You are a second generation owner of a business and you've been in this for a while. I, I wanted to point out that uh, you have a family business that you've worked in since 1985 and before that, I guess, uh, your father. And um, tell me how you got into this business. It's, it's a bit of a traditional story, I guess. You know, manufacturing goes through generations. Tell me how, how uh, this happened for you. Yeah. You know, I, I've, I've been asked that question many times. I say I was born into it in a sense. I mean, I was very fortunate to have a, a father who was an, actually an immigrant came here when he was 17 and, and learned uh, a craft, a trade, centerless grinding, and then kind of went off on his own and built a tremendous business around that. Um, so yeah, I started in 85 full-time, but well before that I was sweeping floors when I was 12 and packing parts you know, when I was a teenager and starting to get uh, on the machines uh, in my college years and doing warehousing and inventory and really learning the business. And, um, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I really enjoyed the fact that we could have something tangible in our business. We were making stuff. So I was excited. I was never pushed into the business, but, um, you know, my dad helped to guide me and was certainly a mentor. And uh, he said, why don't you go to engineering school? So I did. And I went to, went to mechanical engineering up at UNH and then followed that on with an MBA at Babson. And here I am. Well, that that's a great story, too, because it's easy to kind of get the impression when you say, you know, I grew into manufacturing. I think a lot of people assume that you actually don't, don't have these academic credentials because you did both. You essentially went both paths. I did. I went, I went for the technical side and then the business side. And Really, my education came in the business starting when I was a teenager and working with all the people that had been here for years and, and the, the machinists, the, the managers, um, people that had the experience I could really learn from. And they took me under their wing. And, you know, a lot of times kids of owners get the bad rap and they just get put in the top seat, right? And, you know, that didn't happen and that was never going to happen with me. And, and my father would never have let that happen. I really had to earn the right to take uh, ownership of the business. And I had to earn the respect of the people that worked here. And by working side by side with them for many, many years and learning from them, um, it was a much easier transition when the time was right for me uh, to take the reins and lead the company. We'll, we'll get into your company in a, in a second, AccuRounds. I think it's really exciting and also to have that example as we go through this. But I wanted to, to first, I guess, acknowledge that you, you know, you've taken on a, a lot of 
uh, more official duties. You're you're very involved in in the manufacturing ecosystem in Massachusetts and also nationally. Um, maybe b- before we get to sort of w- what all these organizations are and do, because I think it's crucial, uh, right, to communicate that and and to let people understand what what the infrastructure looks like. Um, what was the reason that you uh, also uh, are involved in, in that? Was that a gradual involvement or were you just sort of asked to kind of continuously get engaged in, in these various fora? Yeah, so it probably started in my 20s, really. Uh, my father was a member of a trade association, the National Tooling and Machining Association. And I guess my first involvement in my uh Mid-20s, when I got out of graduate school, we did a fly-in to D.C. and met with legislators to talk about, you know, promoting and workforce development around advanced manufacturing. And that kind of gave me a little bit of a, of a taste of being involved, not only in the business, but, you know, outside of the business for the greater good of the industry. And, uh, you know, over time, it led me to uh, be an advisory board member at Evoke Tech School, which really kind of kicked me off into this kind of mode I'm in now, I guess I've become the de facto go-to person for small business for advanced manufacturing in the state and, and even at a national level. But uh, I personally think it's it's important because in order for us to survive beyond me, we need a future workforce. So if we're not out there promoting what we do, attracting talent and, and providing programs and resources to train our future workforce, then, then we're not going to survive. So it's a matter of survival, and, and I've, I've really enjoyed doing this work outside of the business. I've grown personally, I've grown professionally, and it's also helped our company, um, you know, from a branding standpoint. You know, people kind of recognize the name Accurounds now, where maybe 10 or 15 years ago it wasn't well known. Um, and I think our team takes pride in that. Uh, you know, it goes along with our core values, and, um, you know, they come to work every day and, and obviously take pride in the parts that they make. But but to be recognized uh, as an industry leader and a go-to company, they're the reason that I'm in this position. Uh, my team and the work that they do allows me to, and, and other team members at our company, to go outside of the business and contribute. That that's very interesting. We'll we'll get into each of these in a second, and I'll and I'll let you explain the system because I will admit. Uh, I still find it complicated to understand all the organizations involved in uh, in sort of both the official and the trade bodies and all, all of the ecosystem that is constituted by, by all these organizations, even just in one state, Massachusetts, let, let alone New England, which I have some responsibility for, or, or even, you know, the, the wider uh, America and, and the world. These are a lot of organizations being built over time. But I wanted first maybe... Um, what is special about Massachusetts manufacturing sector? What, what are the strong points? What are some of the things that you are engaged in uh, here? Well, we have a very rich ecosystem in our state. Now, Massachusetts is known as the innovation economy, the number one innovation economy in the country. We're not as well known for being producers, but the reality is we do a lot of manufacturing and end product uh, right here in the state. And I don't think a better story could be told than what we just lived through this pandemic when we'll talk about the Advanced Manufacturing Collaborative in a minute, but when we spun out the emergency response team around manufacturing from that group and really pulled together our talents and resources from an educational standpoint, a research standpoint, and a manufacturing and innovation standpoint to pivot companies to make PPE. It really shined a light on what a rich ecosystem we have. And, you know, our state isn't that big. You can drive across it in a couple hours. You know, it's not like California or Texas. So the ability to have co-location, a supply chain, all integrated within one state, and the ability to produce, innovate, produce, and ship product. Um, You know, we produce millions and millions of pieces of PPE through this uh, really fast-track turnaround time to get companies to pivot. Uh, and, and it's really a story that should be told, you know, state and across the country, because we can take what we've learned here and develop that not only for PPE in the future, but also for other products that get um, innovated and developed and start up companies right through to production. 
Um, do you think there was something different about the way you organized this uh, PPE effort here than in other states? Have you have you tracked how how this happened in other states as well, or or do you just know that it was very different from what things uh, you know how things worked before the pandemic? We actually had several states call us to find out how in the world we did what we did. So um, we and we actually got a grant, um, uh, I believe it was from NIST, to document what we did. So other states can learn from that and maybe, you know, if a, another opportunity presents itself, not necessarily a pandemic, but to mobilize your manufacturing community, they can learn and take some of the steps we did. I think what, what's unique to Massachusetts, though, is having the research institutions like MIT and UMass Lowell and um, WPI, you know, these these universities were really key in, in reaching out to the FDA, fast-tracking um, the research on, you know, what a medical gray gown, uh, material is, where you could get it, sourcing it. Um, you know, in, in some cases, products that take months, eight, nine months, for example, to prop up a product line to manufacture, we were able to do it in weeks, in three or four weeks, which is incredible. We have a company in Fall River, Merrill Manufacturing, that now is the number one, um, medical gun manufacturing in the country through this, through this effort. Wow. Um, one quick question uh, about the biggest challenges as a region, because I guess that leads into why, why there is so much ecosystem effort at, at working across. So w- what would you say right now is the biggest challenge? So yes, it's an innovation economy, <clears throat> not as well known for manufacturing yet as it is for, for innovation. But what are some of the main challenges you see right now for, for Massachusetts in, in the manufacturing sector? Yeah, the, the largest challenge for, for our industry and probably many others is, is talent, right, is, is having the manpower. And we hear about robotics and, and people talk about, you know, robots replacing people, but that's not happening in manufacturing. What's happening is the technology is allowing our team to upskill and advance and do uh, higher earning uh, skills and, and, and have more opportunity for the future. So talent is first. Uh, business environment, you know, Massachusetts is friendly, but it's expensive. So, you know, we continue to work with uh, our government to come up with programs and, and funding mechanisms and grants and, um, you know, opportunities for training grants to help get us through that that challenge. Um, and, and I think, you know, branding will be the third, you know, challenge we have. How can we get the general population to understand, you know, what our industry is all about? how exciting it is. It is not dark, dirty, and dangerous, which some people still have that image of. It is really safe, smart, and sustainable um, and stable, which, you know, as we found through the pandemic, there are many careers that aren't quite stable. So we really need to do a better job in our state of promoting that and attracting the talent so we can continue to uh, prosper in the future. Well, well, now I think the time is right for you to line up these uh, ecosystem players. And rather than me kind of listing them, uh, I'd like you to sort of start wherever it makes sense. Like either start with the historically kind of a how it evolved or start with the what we, you consider the most important organizations that were involved in this pandemic and that are involved in policymaking or innovation infrastructure or any other role, you know, uh, that the ecosystem plays here in the state. So, you know, start with whatever organization you feel it makes sense to start with. Sure. So on a state level, Massachusetts, about uh, 12, 10, 12 years ago, launched the Advanced Manufacturing Collaborative. I co-chair that collaborative with uh, Secretary Michael Keneally, who's the Secretary of Housing and Economic Development here in Baker's uh, cabinet. Um, And we have uh, some notable OEM senior executives and CEOs on that uh, collaborative team, as well as some SMEs, as well as some government representatives and educational institutions. So we have three working groups, talent and branding, innovation, and business environment. And they, we, we, we meet quarterly and the working groups meet between those quarterly meetings and report out every quarter. Now I would say that's kind of the overarching advanced manufacturing focus from the state. But the real core of 
manufacturing in mass and where it's being driven is out of a recently launched Center for Advanced Manufacturing, which is part of the Massachusetts Technology Collaborative. So CAM, as it's known, uh, we now have a director, Christine Nolan, who started at the end of last year, and um, she's been a, f- a quick learner and uh, doing a lot of great work already. Uh, that is driving, really, the driving force and, and coordinates the activity of the AMC. It is driving a lot of the working group activity as well as a lot of other activity around advanced manufacturing. And from a website standpoint, mamanufacturing.com, so massmanufacturing.com, is really kind of the central point to gather a lot of this information. Now, <laughs> there's a ton of different programs taking that, that take place in the state from, from workforce training fund grants to um, the advanced manufacturing training fund grants that go through mass hire. Uh, I could go on and on, but our hope is through CAM, we can make you know the on-ramps and off-ramps for advanced manufacturing more visible so we can realize what a tremendous, you know, network and ecosystem we have in manufacturing for mass. So it really, really is CAM, housed at the Mass Tech Collaborative, which helps organize uh, the advanced manufacturing collaborative's activity. And, and one, one uh, last... That sounds really clear. Um, there, there are a few other uh, organizations. Let me just first ask about this uh, um, Manufacturing Innovation Institute program with a, a short <clears throat> acronym uh, M2I2. Is that right? That's correct. That's correct. Our state, I believe, is committed uh, close to $100 million over five years, covering four institutes, uh, four manufacturing USA institutes the Integrated Photonics, uh, AFOA Advanced Functional Fabrics, uh, NetFlex, which is Flexible Hybrid Electronics and ARM, which is Advanced Robotics for uh, Manufacturing. So those are, are federally funded. The state has some matching funds as well. And the focus is looking to the future. And these are future technologies and developing the programs and the training and ultimately uh, the team members to join companies to help move these uh, institutes and companies that will support this work uh, going forward. So again, yeah, M2I2, and that's what that program is all about. So here's here's going to be a question for you. Um, I'm going to pick three roles. If I'm a manufacturer or I'm a startup or I'm a citizen, why should I care about any of these organizations? Let's first take if I'm a small manufacturer, I manufacture something, I exist here in Massachusetts, and I've never heard of these programs or they don't mean much to me. What is your pitch to, to a small manufacturer? Why would you engage? Where should you engage? How do you engage? Well, you go right to, to the Center for Advanced Manufacturing. That's your contact point. They have staff there that can direct you to whichever program is going to best fit your needs. Uh, I think it's important to understand the future technologies that are going to impact our industry and our businesses. So from an SME and an OEM standpoint, it's important to understand these institutes and, and you know, obviously all the institutes aren't for everyone, but you need to determine which one may be able to benefit your company and how you may be able to uh, receive some grant funding to maybe develop some innovation at your company to help support these um, these Manufacturing USA institutes. So that's first and foremost. So it's in a bit develop innovation, develop training initiatives perhaps also, and then generally network, I guess, with peers through these organizations as well? Or what? Absolutely. Now, that's how you learn and grow. Networking is so important. So understanding the landscape and the changing dynamics in our industry, I'll tell you, has gone through tremendous change in the last 10 years. You know, automation, robotics, 3D printing, big data, machine monitoring were all new to us, you know, five, 10 years ago. Now they're pretty much integrated in, you know, most of the progressive companies in the state and uh, across the country. Well, now we're looking at, uh, you know, artificial intelligence, augmented reality, virtual reality, you know, understanding that and learning how that's going to impact our business. These manufacturing USA institutes are coming up with new technologies. We need to know that. We need to understand what our future jobs are going to be, what are future technologies that we can deploy and integrate in our companies and implement to help make us successful in the future. 
Perfect. Uh, so now I'm a startup, or I actually do represent Tulip, which is a tech startup, uh, and and we uh, actually have gotten involved in one of those uh, institutes for grant funding. But give me a sense of you know if I am a tech startup coming out of one of these universities that Massachusetts has a lot of, and we are involved or want to uh, deliver products or services to the manufacturing industry, how can a startup plug into this uh, ecosystem? Well, there's a couple of different ways. I think, again, learning and understanding the supply chain, the local supply chain, because co-location is so important today. So understanding that, whether it's through uh, the Center for Advanced Manufacturing, number one, or through uh, the mass hires, which are part of the four regional consortiums that are kind of tangentially connected to the Advanced Manufacturing Collaborative. The, the four advanced manufacturing training fund grants coming directly from the state go to four lead mass hires across the state. They direct those training funds. So there could be opportunities for startups to uh, utilize those funds to help them innovate, train, develop their products, learn the supply chain. Um, of course, the M2I2 program we just talked about uh, is another opportunity. And then, uh, you know, on the startup and SME side, there's actually a new program. It's uh, launching, I believe, July 1st called the Massachusetts Manufacturers Accelerate Program. That's specifically targeted for SME innovation. Um, so, and that's being run again out of the Center for Advanced Manufacturing. So you can see the theme here. Um, you know, it used to be a thousand points of light, right? And you didn't kind of know where to go. Well, you know, we're trying to dial this in, have one focal point area. People can go to go to CAM talk to staff, and they can find out everything they need to know about advanced manufacturing in Massachusetts and, and in New England because we're, we're obviously not solely looking at Massachusetts, although that's our priority. Uh, you know, we're looking at a regional economy as well. Perfect. And then what if I'm a citizen or maybe better formulated, I'm, I'm, I'm talent, let's say I'm a young person coming out of university and I for some reason actually have identified manufacturing as this is the place to be, which we'll talk about in a second. Or maybe I am a frontline worker, right? Maybe I work on the shop floor and I want to uh, follow these trends or, or build skills in, in kind of smart manufacturing. How do I then connect to these organizations or are they mostly for business owners themselves? No, you can, they, absolutely talent can connect. The, the best way for talent to connect is to go to your uh, local mass hire and they will tap you into either pipeline training, which could be somebody that's new or looking to transition into our industry because those training funds have programs run out of community colleges that take individuals and give them the basic skill sets to enter our industry. And they also provide funding for incumbent training. So they're going to be aware of all the incumbent training programs that uh, are currently taking place. And, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that on, on both aspects. We, we through the consortiums, the local consortiums in the state, and I'm part of the Southeastern Mass Advanced Manufacturing Consortium, that's SAMC, another acronym. Um, we, we do what's called sector partnerships, job-driven training. So we have, you know, meetings with, our mass hires with community colleges and with industry and we'll identify, okay, we need uh, welders. There's a need for welders. So how can we design a program to take an individual and give them the introductory welding training skills they need to start on the path to become a welder or upskill um, a novice welder. And it could be, we need incumbent training for, it could be supervisory skill training. It could be other CNC machining training. It could be quality technician training. Whatever the demand is by our industry peers meeting and, and, and identifying that need because we collaborate, you know, we're, we're peers, we compete, but we're also, you know, in this together and, and we're combining, you know, our knowledge and needs to develop these programs. So uh, certainly for the talent out there, there's a lot of opportunity. There's also technical institutes, Southeastern Vogue Tech here, has kind of an after-hours Advanced Manufacturing Technical Institute program. I'm not sure how many weeks it is. It's several weeks of training. We actually interviewed a couple of candidates recently that may come work here this summer, and then they'll go back to school in the fall. They'll graduate, and they'll have a little more advanced skills training to enter the workforce. 
Now, this sounds so easy when you explain it, but there are a bunch of other organizations around this ecosystem that I wanted you to briefly comment on. So, so there's a bunch of other sort of initiatives that have popped up that are doing things in specific domains. And then there's also trade associations. Maybe, maybe we'll start with some of those other uh, initiatives. There's one that I w- just wanted to point out. There's something called Forge, forgemass.org, which seems to be a nonprofit. Um, wh- where does that fit into this, this picture? And wh- what does that uh, organization do? So they work with startups and developing products. So they'll provide um, space and collaboration and kind of shared resources. So it's economical for a startup to take an idea and and work with consultants and mentors to help them develop their product. Um, That's kind of at the beginning of the ecosystem, right? So you have an idea, there's innovation that takes place. And then Forge, you know, great name. They just changed their name. Um, you know, they're forging relationships. So they're connecting the startup ecosystem to the producing ecosystem, the manufacturing ecosystem, and hopefully keeping things local so they can tap into that local supply chain. Um, and, and they do a great job of that. Uh, and then how about the trade associations? I know uh, the Mass Technology Leadership Council, I guess popularly known as Mass uh, TLC. Uh, is the largest tech association in Massachusetts. What is their involvement in, in manufacturing specifically? That That's made up mostly of, of larger OEM, you know, CEOs and, and high-level uh, executives. Uh, they're looking to direct policy around advanced manufacturing. So I don't really interact much with that group. I've talked to a few people there. Uh, but they're looking at, you know, at kind of a higher level, which is important, and collaborating much uh, a lot with the state of mass uh, policy legislation and trying to make it, you know, a friendlier business environment uh, for not only themselves, but for their SMEs and the entire supply chain. Um, you know, one, one organization you mentioned trade associations, I can talk specifically about the two that I'm a member of. And, and obviously there's training that our associations do as well for incumbent and pipeline training. Uh, the National Tooling and Machining Association, which has two chapters in the state, a Boston chapter and a Western Mass chapter, and the Precision Machine Products Association, um, which has a, a Northeast chapter. So ntma.org, pmpa.org, those are websites you can go to learn more about those trade associations. Wow, so this is a it's a big ecosystem and and now we've we've only covered Massachusetts. Tell me a little bit about your national role because you recently kind of moved uh, a little bit uh, also into the the national stage. What are well, first off, you you did mention already that the Mass USA that some of these are federal grants actually. It's a national infrastructure obviously for manufacturing support. Um how do you plug into that and and you know what's uh, what's been exciting lately uh, when it comes to kind of the the tie in between Massachusetts and and the federal level. Well, about uh, about ten years ago, eleven years ago now, I attended um, and spoke at Bunker Hill. Um, and I believe, uh, gee, I think it was might have been Governor Patrick at the time. But um, I had met somebody after that worked for the National Skills Coalition. She asked me to attend a fly-in. Sounded interesting. I had done fly-ins for trade associations for years, but this was a little unique. I did some research on the National Skills Coalition, and I and I attended, and um, I found it um, different from a national level talking about workforce development. And the National Skills Coalition is a tremendous organization. So from that, we launched, and I was part of the uh, executive team and now chair the group, uh, a group called Business Leaders United for Workforce Partnerships. And it's not only manufacturing, it's construction, it's IT, it's healthcare, it's really anybody that needs technical skills training. And our whole focus is putting policy papers together and meeting with federal legislators, Congress people, uh, senators, representatives. I've actually been to the White House several times, met with policymakers, actually had a roundtable discussion with President Obama and Vice President Biden at the time, all around driving federal funding for workforce development. Uh, For example, I I just testified in front of Congress a couple of weeks ago around the America's Jobs Plan, plan, representing Blue, uh, Business Leaders United, um, talking about the successful training programs we've helped develop through Blue 
in the National Skills Coalition that we want to make sure are part of the America's Jobs Plan, like sector partnerships and job-driven training, and the Voc Tech initiatives and, and looking at the institutes, not only for the high school students, but for uh, the dark hours and lighting those up for adults. So I think it's very important to tie the federal work with the state work, making sure that kind of they're in sync and the awareness is there, you know, across the spectrum. Again, for me, it's been some personal and professional development. It's been tremendous networking. I've met great leadership across the country and and actually have done some side benchmarking with different uh, companies through the trade association networking and the national work that I've done uh, down in DC. And, uh, you know, we've gone virtual in the past, uh, you know, 15 months with these meetings, but we've continued to do the fly-ins and it's been very important. I wanted to take it back uh, a notch sort of to your, to your own company. Could you g- g- give us a sense of what, what's been happening to Accurounds lately? Where are you on this journey that, uh, you know, through your associations, you're asking everyone else to, to make this, this journey towards smarter manufacturing industry 4.0 is the international term for it. Um, how, how has your journey been, and 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 you know what, what? Maybe just line up. What exactly is it that that you do with Accurounds? Uh, you're you're a manufacturer, or a contract manufacturer, I understand also. Uh, and and where are you on this journey of, you know, technology? Sure, uh, it's been an exciting journey. You know, full time since '85, so it's at 36 years. Uh, I'm having more fun today than I've ever had, and uh, for us, it starts with with our core values. You know, expressing gratitude, um, striving for excellence, putting the team first, taking initiative, and really having an exemplifying trust. And if, if you have those core values and the behaviors that follow along with those, then, you know, our team can go to the moon and back and do anything. And, uh, you know, we put an addition on our facility about uh, seven years ago now, and that really catapulted us into this industry for 4.0 focus. So, you know, I mentioned robotics, automation, 3D printing, machine monitoring. Again, that's integrated. That's that's being put to use. That's part of our success the last several years. Um, you know, we're looking at what's next, but uh, we're integrating new technology um, constantly. I mean, we just had a machine dropped on our floor Monday, uh, two days ago. Um, that was a follow-up to a machine that was put on our floor last month Follow on to the machine, the promise. We've got three new machines in uh, two and a half months that were delivered here. We have two more on order. And due to the supply chain issues, we were not going to be getting those until probably September, October timeframe, but five new pieces of technology. And the reason we're looking to, to enhance our capacity with new technology is because the newer technology is more capable and in some cases had it has embedded robotics in it which allows our team members to run multiple pieces of equipment. So we're leveraging labor. It makes our company more competitive. It gets product to our customers faster. It gets a better quality product to our customers. So, you know, we're continuing to look at technology, integrating that. And of course our team members need to learn this. So they need to be trained, whether it's, you know, on the job training in a lot of cases. I was going to say, you make it sound easy. Yeah. No, it's, you make it sound easy, Michael. But, yeah. It, I tell you, you're right, Tron. It's, it's, it's challenging. It's exciting. I mean, you know, we look at we look at challenges and opportunities. Opportunities for improvement, we call it. So, you know, our team members up for the challenge. They get they get really jazzed when they see a, a rigger pulling into our uh, our uh, dock bay and and they're driving a machine with uh, you know dropping a machine and we're moving some machines around and it's really cool. You know, nothing like unwrapping a new machine and, and getting it live. Michael, I, if I may, you and I had a pre-call and, and we talked about some more challenging issues and I wanted to personalize it a little bit and feel free to, to dial this back if you don't want to go there too much. But um, if you look at the next generation, it isn't always so easy to convince them. You have this invincible passion and it would seem that, you know, if I didn't know better, if I, I have kids myself, so I know you can be passionate <laughs> and they sort of disagree with you vehemently anyway, or they just completely ignore my orders uh, if I try to issue them. Um, I mean, you don't have to talk about your kids if you don't want to, but talk about the next generation, because I, I think this will relate to, to, to business owners, right? 
you are passionate. You clearly see the future. You see your future, and you see a future for Accurounds. And and moreover, you know you're engaged with everyone else's future here in the state and beyond. Why is it that most young people? And I'm going to make the generalization because it is true for now. Most young people don't see manufacturing as the next big thing. That is my statement. Comments. You are correct. Although I think the last year or two may help us change that story. I, I think that our industry has been done a disservice by media. I think for a couple of decades, everybody talked about manufacturing. We can't compete. It's all going overseas. It's never coming back. The reality is it's coming back and it's coming back big time for many, many reasons. Risk being at the top of the list based on what we've just experienced. Now we need to get this story told. I have three children. They're in their mid to late twenties. Um, I, I guess I wasn't as passionate 15 and 20 years ago as I am today, or maybe I would have helped convince them to look at, you know, technology as a career. They have successful careers and I don't anticipate them coming in, but uh, you never know. That could change. Um, but I have spoken with a lot of high school, middle school, college age kids and talking about career choices. And we have high school co-ops here. We have college interns here. And I'll tell you what, when they come here and visit and see what we have in play, they get really fired up. Uh, we had a, a mechanical engineer here that never considered manufacturing for a career. Well, he's now in a manufacturing career. We've had several other college engineers do that as well. Now, what's really neat about our industry is you don't have to have a college degree to come to work at Accurounds or at Advanced Manufacturing. What you have to have is creative thinking, problem solving, the understanding of that, and the willing to learn it, you know, and the desire to learn. Uh, regardless whether you go to college or not, learning is lifelong. We have the Accurounds Lifelong Learning University here, and that whole focus is to make sure that everybody has one or more learning objectives on their plate at all times. So, uh, you know, we're working at the state level to, to kind of craft that story a little better and brand it, and hopefully we can pick it up at a national level. I would say that, you know, we've heard more national stories the last year or two around manufacturing than we probably have in the prior five or 10. And we need to keep telling that story because, you know, finance and some of these other things are, are careers are great. But, you know, I got to tell you, there's nothing more exciting than, than making a part that goes to a vaccine machine to make vaccines to cure COVID. And we're doing that right now. And that's pretty cool. I mean, your your enthusiasm is is contagious, and and when I think of the new technologies, even just moving into manufacturing, you think of you know machine learning applications. You think of augmented reality, which is now starting to get some industrial use cases with you know headsets, whatever it is, uh, whether it is for training of you know on serious machinery or you know ed robotics. Obviously, is the perhaps the most obvious and visible. Um, new technology that is, uh, you know, slowly seeping into factory floors. It's almost mysterious, I guess, how the story has taken so long to to gain foothold. Do you think that this is now going to change fast? So I, I, I guess we're, we're talking about the next decade. What what do you think is going to happen to the impression that young people have of the sector? What's going to happen to the sector itself? What what do you see in in your future? I do think it's going to change. I, I think the, the shift of manufacturing back to this country, the fact that technology is allowing us to be more competitive, which is facilitating that, and taking the technologies you just mentioned, AI, AR, VR. You know, you look at all the kids that game. Um, there's a tremendous gaming community. Well, you know, in a way, that, that applies to advanced manufacturing now with these technologies. So when people realize the match and the excitement of technology, and how important that plays in our space. And it's going to play going forward. And we kind of maybe not only, we really can't envision what those roles might be, but, you know, we never thought we'd need a data analyst at Accurounds, but, you know, we're developing data analytics skills for our team because we're driving so much data every day uh, through our systems to our team. And the more information real time we have, the better decisions we can make. So IT is huge. Um you know, I mentioned I mentioned the three Ds and the three S's, right? And and I added stable. Well, I'll go even further and say our industry is pretty sexy now because this technology can be very attractive. 
And I really think as people understand that and learn it, that's going to drive talent to our industry. And talent that's going to be on the creative side, you know, creative minds really play well in our space. You know, you're troubleshooting every day. You're problem solving every day. Uh, so you want to create different ways to do things. And uh, you're using your mind and your head and your hands. And, you know, it's not really physical manual labor. The computerized equipment's doing the work. But you really got to use your brain and be creative to continuously improve, which we strive to do, and be efficient in serving our customers' needs. You know, it is fantastic to hear you speak about technology this way. Uh, I mean, I happen to be one uh, that shows a much more theoretical path in the many of my first years of learning, but I never really enjoyed that. I, I've always been much more practical. And I think that if I had had exposure to the right places earlier on, I would have, it is certainly the type of learning process that I enjoy most is when you see fairly immediate results. Um how far do you think that can go? Do you, do you think you, you can start out in, in a manufacturing firm and, and get to the top of your game in many of these technologies and, and be a, a path-breaking sort of trailblazer in manufacturing and, and then just basically take courses on the job or on the side or, or whatever it is? Or do you think still that this university path uh, is the only one? I, I guess, you know, uh, I'm trying to speak up for, for sort of the middle skill strategy, which is a whole development that maybe you can comment on this idea that maybe not everybody needs to go to full university but we we need to find a a new way perhaps to educate at a fairly advanced level but quickly and then the question is you know do we have to take people out of the factory floor to do this or can it be done on the job what what is your view of that and and how far can that go for people who choose that path Sure. I, I think it, there's many paths, right? As I mentioned earlier, and college isn't the only one. And, and in many ways, you know, the majority of our team members do not have college degrees. They came out of a, a Voc Tech high school and started down that career path. So I definitely think that there's going to be a lot of opportunities. I think the educational tracks are going to change. Um, I think companies are going to be providing the opportunity you know, in some cases, you may be able to get your college education paid for by the company you're working at and doing it while you're either on the job, you know, or after hours or a combination of both. Um, so I think, you know, the t- technology play and the demand, you know, let's look, let's look at the robotics industry. Okay. Robotics industry is, is a burgeoning industry across, in this state in particular, a lot of startups and, and well-established companies. Amazon Robotics being one that's that's headquartered here, and we actually do work for them. So, so you look at advanced manufacturing, the ecosystem, you can manufacture for robotics. Robotics, you know, to make the robots, you need parts, you need mechanical parts, so we can manufacture for that. Um, but um, so you take taking that on, and then looking at um, the, the the maintenance that's going to be needed for robotics. Uh, the training that's going to be needed for robotics. So there's all sorts of careers that are going to be uh, established and grown just from that one industry alone. So, you know, the Advanced Robotics Institute out in Pittsburgh, you know, is taking some of these and, and looking at how that can be integrated uh, long-term. So, you know, I, I'm extremely excited and more optimistic now about the next 10 years and the future and the talent that's going to be coming our way than I ever have because of, you know, the involvement and, and the the commitment by the state of Massachusetts and some of the awareness taking place across, across the country with trade associations and others. You know, one, one group that we did not mention that plays a big role in our state and in every state is the uh, manufacturing extension partnerships. So the Mass MEP is a huge facilitator when it comes to promoting and training uh, the future workforce of manufacturing. And those are federally funded programs that exist in every single state. And our state does a lot of work with these manufacturing USA institutes um, and, and making the connections and, and uh, marrying up SMEs and OEMs and others and talent uh, to take advantage of the programs that exist. It's funny you mentioned them. That was going to be my next question because it was one of the organizations we, we sort of missed earlier on when we were listing, listing them. Um, Building on that, 
Do you feel like the learning infrastructure is sufficient currently, whether it is in Massachusetts or, or generally? Or do we need new models or better scale uh, to kind of match this reskilling challenge that has been identified at least uh, at least sort of globally and nationally, you know, it's a big effort, you know, reskilling. And, and, and that's why we had, uh, we had Manufacturing USA. And that's why I think there's a renewed effort now uh, federally as well. And if new efforts are needed, what sorts of programs do you believe are, are the future? Well, in Massachusetts in particular, we have a capacity issue when it comes to vocational technical education. There's a group called the Alliance for Voc Tech Ed, and, and their whole focus is to work with our legislators to drive more funding to our voc tech schools. Now, Governor Baker and his administration have done a tremendous job in investing in these schools, but we need more capacity. You know, advanced manufacturing is very capital intensive. So our CNC machines are not inexpensive. And in order to develop the future workforce, we need training facilities whether it's at a voc tech school or an institute or a training center to have the state of the art technology so they can train, uh, you know, incumbent and pipeline individuals to become uh, team members and get jobs. So um, that's, that's a huge challenge. And uh, I know that, you know, there's, there's certain things in play in particular Madison park in Boston. Uh, we're looking to establish an institute there and prop up uh, advanced manufacturing as a program. So there are certain, um, schools that have taken these grants and, and invested, but still there are, there are some waiting lists at schools right now for high school kids in particular to get into these programs. And we need to get past that. But what about online training? Is that not sufficient in most cases or are you not so bullish on, on the ability to learn CNC machining or any other skill, you know, robotic manufacturing or ma management, you know, through just online means? I actually I absolutely think that online training is a, is a big part of the future of training. We had an individual here um, last year, became the first apprenticeship through our consortium to get an apprenticeship through Tooling U, which is an online training program, and the funds that were provided through the manufacturing training grants in the state. So we took advantage of that. Um, our associations utilize online training. As resources. There's nothing that's going to replace hands-on. Let's face it, you know, if you're new to the industry, it's important to learn some of the conventional machining, getting on a bridge port or a lathe and cranking handles so you can feel what it's like to cut metal and aluminum, stainless, ink and L. But, you know, jumping right to CNC and pushing buttons doesn't give you the sense of what it's like to machine. So you need a combination. But I am uh, I am very big on, on online, and especially as it continues to develop. Um, and you know, one other thing I, I was trying to get back to on the robotic side that I wanted to mention, there are many robotics programs in schools right now that I think is a huge feeder program for our future workforce. Um, there's the National Robotics League run out of AMPT, part of the National Tooling and Machining Association. The, the, the great thing about robotics programs when kids are involved is they not only learn, uh, you know, how to put a robot together, but they're, they're developing it, they're designing it, they're working with a company to help make it, they're troubleshooting it, they're fixing it, they're learning communication skills, they're learning all the, the soft skill pieces, which are extremely important in advanced manufacturing in any career, right? So you combine all that, that to me is a huge feeder program, where you're coming out of a voc tech school that has it, or a comprehensive high school, or even college programs that have, uh, you know, robotics uh, competitions uh, in play. Michael, this is, it's fascinating. I thank you so much for sharing. Was there, uh, you know, is there a, a, a final challenge? If, if if I ask you, you know, many of the listeners here and, you know, they, they come from different walks of life. Uh, uh, some of them, you know, m might be on the, you know, on the workshop floor. Others are more manager uh, level. And, and yet again, I think a, a bunch of startups or people working for startups or even founders are listening to to this podcast. What What is your, your sort of takeaway on uh, the challenges and opportunities of manufacturing, specifically in Massachusetts, but you know, also considering your your larger remit, you know, nationally and and maybe even looking internationally, what 
what is your sort of take on where this is going and what sh people should be thinking when they're when they're thinking manufacturing? So today's advanced manufacturing environment is very progressive and it's very exciting. And again, we need to do a better job locally and nationally on promoting that. I would encourage people to visit mamanufacturing.com, get a sense of what's taking place across the state, go to the Center for Advanced Manufacturing website, learn more. You can follow us on social media, LinkedIn, Instagram. Uh, our YouTube channel has, has tremendous videos. We have uh, 60 to 90 second videos on different careers and individuals here. Um, we have recruitment videos on our website. You can learn about our company, but uh, take some time to research because it certainly is going to be uh, an industry that's going to grow over the next 10 years and not only grow in numbers, but we need to replace the people that are going to be aging out of our workforce. We didn't touch on that, but you know, our workforce uh, is aging out. So there's a lot of opportunity at all different levels from machining to engineering to quality to sales to admin to HR to finance. You can go on and on and on. So uh, I implore people, if you're looking, you're thinking, or where you want to go in life, please consider manufacturing as a career choice. Michael, this has been profoundly educational for me, and I don't just say that. This is truly eye-opening. It's it is uh, a little bit daunting, I think, uh, to to sort of understand this sector when you your mindset has perhaps been. I mean, like like me, you know, like digital and all those things were were cool throughout my education over the last 20, uh, 20 years. But I'm starting to see the light, and I must say, it's fascinating. I thank you so much for opening up that book for for us. Oh, you're very welcome, Tron. It was a pleasure to be with you. And uh, again, digital, physical, physical, digital, it's exciting stuff. So look forward to the future of manufacturing. Thanks. You have just listened to episode 26 of the Augmented Podcast with host Trun Arne Unheim. The topic was manufacturing in Massachusetts. Our guest was Michael Tomasi, CEO and owner of AccuRounds and co-chairman of the Massachusetts Advanced Manufacturing Collaborative. In this conversation, we talked about the ecosystem for manufacturing in Massachusetts, its challenges, opportunities, and future. My takeaway is that Massachusetts is undergoing a rapid evolution into a forward-looking region which much more fully embraces the manufacturing industry as part of its innovation thrust. One could wonder why it took decades before the deep tech focus of the state's many universities percolated into the sector. When it happened, it did through startups mostly, but also through federal government and state-led initiatives and through the grassroots innovation of the small and medium-sized businesses that traditionally are at the heart of manufacturing. My prediction is that given where Industry 4.0 is, which we call smart manufacturing in the US, in the near future, manufacturing will be cool again. When that happens, talent will again be pouring in. Young people will enter the sector. It is hard to predict exactly when and how, but the change will be profound. Thanks for listening. If you liked the show, subscribe at augmentedpodcast.co or in your preferred podcast player and rate us with five stars. If you liked this episode, you might also like episode 25 on industrial tracking, episode 14 on smart manufacturing for all, or episode 16, a female fighter in a manufacturing SME. Augmented, upskilling the workforce for industry 4.0 frontline operations.